Hello, everybody. Michael Lombardo here. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That is a staple scripture for me and this podcast. The Apostle Paul didn't write that to unbelievers, but he wrote that to believers. And there's an awakening in the body of Christ. The Lord wants to open up our hearts so that we can see Jesus for who he is, so that we can know who we are, the tools that we have, our mission and assignment in the earth. And so that's what this podcast is all about. There's a new episode every Monday and Thursday through the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Play, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that podcasts are listened to. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in today. I want to make sure that I honor my guest time. I want to dive right in. And so my guest is Pastor Che On, him and his wife Sue. They have served as the senior pastors of H-Rock Church in Pasadena since 1994. Che is also the founder and president of Harvest International Ministry, a worldwide apostolic network of churches in over 60 nations with the common vision of changing lives, transforming cities, and discipling nations. He is a minister, author, and a TV show host of a new show called Equipping the Saints with Che On, uh, which releases Tuesdays at 8.30 Eastern Time on God TV. He's also the founder of One Race for Life, which is an apostolic network of multicultural pro-life leaders committed to seeing abortion made illegal on a national and state level. And ultimately their goal is to see an amendment added to the constitution, which will make abortion illegal, which I'm very excited to talk to him today. Thank you so much for joining me, Pastor Jay. What a joy and honor. I just want to just say that our church name used to be H-Rock, but we're calling it Harvest Rock because we're prophesying the harvest is coming in. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Well, that's good. Good to know. I'm sorry about that. And so um, I know that you have a very powerful story about how your family came to America. I would love to, I I always like hearing about encounter stories and how people came to faith. Well, my dad was a great man of God. He was the first Korean Southern Baptist pastor in North America in 19. I mean, we, we, as a family came in 1960, he came in 58 we had visa problems, so my family couldn't mm-hmm. join him. Uh, but uh, there was no Korean Southern Baptist Church. Uh, there was a Presbyterian Church. There was a Method. A few of them just mattered. But now, just in L.A. alone, there are a million Koreans. Amazing. And there are hundreds of thousands of Southern Baptist churches. So my dad was the first. And that was like winning the lottery. I mean, it was our ticket to come to yeah. United States. Because in 1960, when we arrived, the U.N. declared Korea to be the poorest nation wow. in the world. And now it's the 11th richest nation. And, and I believe that Amazing. God has prospered them because revival broke out in Korea and the churches exploded. Some of the largest churches, like the largest assembly of God church, of course, is uh, Youngie Cho's church. He's That's retired. Right. But, you know, you're talking about at the peak with 750,000 members. Amazing. And uh, my grandparents were founding uh, elders, not pastors. They were business people mm-hmm. in the marketplace. But... Uh, my grandparents on my mom's side were the founding elders of Yanak Presbyterian Church, uh, which um, boasted around 90,000 members. It was founded in 1945. Mm. That's the church that Billy Graham went to uh, in the 50s during the Korean War to preach the gospel. He preached at their church, and so a very strong evangelical church. And so I, on my mom's side, Presbyterian, my dad's side, Baptist, and here I am, a charismaniac. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I <laughs> got the best of both Praise worlds. God, I got absolutely. filled with the Holy Spirit and, and uh, during the Jesus People movement, and I've never turned back. Awesome. When I went to Christ for the Nations Institute, I met so many Korean believers. They were so on fire. They prayed for hours right. through the middle of the night. Their, their prayer meetings yeah. were always the well, most you know, fiery. It's interesting. I didn't pick up that DNA. 
I tell people I'm just an average pro life. But the smartest thing I ever did was when I came to California, I asked Lou Engel, who was not a pastor at that time. He yeah. was just cutting grass for a living, you know? I mean, mowing lawns. Sure. Um, and when he told me what he did, I said, dude, that must be the boringest job. And he says, no, it's the best job. I prayed eight hours a day, five days a week. And I said, yeah. you're kidding me. He said, I'm just praying in tongues. You know, I just, I don't have to think. I'm just pushing a lawnmower sure. and praying. And uh, uh, the Lord just spoke to me, invite him to come with you to California. So he discipled me in prayer. He would drag me out of bed <laughs> and we would pray wow. six days a week at six o'clock in the morning. And mm -hmm. to this day, and this was back in 84, mm -hmm. to this day, we have six o'clock early morning prayer meeting in our church because he laid the foundation wow. of that. And so we have... By the way, they're led by Koreans, you know, yeah, <laughs> so they, they do have that passion, but uh -huh. our church is predominantly American, but, but the Koreans are the ones who show up for the six o'clock prayer watch. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, no, thank God for the Korean prayer movement and the mm -hmm. impartation they gave to the nations. I know the Chinese church learned a lot from them yeah. and they're praying more than the Koreans now. Mm -hmm. In fact, someone did a study and they said the average Chinese pastor prays two hours a day, the average Korean pastor hour and a half. The average American pastor, 18 minutes. Right. And I think mm. that's an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could definitely learn something from the Koreans, yeah. the Chinese believers. Well, you 100%. know, they, they say more prayer, more power. Absolutely. Little prayer, little power. And so there you go. Yeah, he's our source. Absolutely. We should want yeah. to spend time in his presence. Yes, absolutely. No, as him. a result of that, uh, my wife and I, we pray every day for years. We've done this every day, no matter where I'm in the world. We yep. thank God for FaceTime. Thank God for Skype. Absolutely. But we'll connect and we'll pray. And so uh, that's the influence of uh, that prayer movement had on my life. Mm-hmm. What a, what a great person to learn from, too. Lou Engle himself, the oh man my of goodness. prayer, he's the like intercessor. the apostle of prayer, you know. <laughs> he's more of a prophet, but he is like oh, uh, sure. Mr. Prayer personified. Sure. Amazing. Yeah, well, I know in 1984, God really spoke to you and your wife about moving to California because yeah. there was a great harvest there. Exactly. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about that encounter and how the Lord's really honored your obedience, you know, over the years. From well, it was actually on September 2nd, 1982, and I was pastoring, not the senior pastor, I was an associate pastor of a large church, very successful church in Washington, D.C. And uh, we thought we were going to be there for life because we got saved in Washington, D.C. My wife and I both came to know the Lord during the Jesus People Movement. Yeah. And, um, and we loved our church, and um, it was just blowing up, you know, it was just, again, uh, with the Jesus people movement, which historically was from 67 to 70, 1977. Uh, but now we're in our eighties. And so it's still having that influence and impact. But at four o'clock in the morning, the Lord gave me a dream and a black man appeared to me in the dream. Yeah. And in my dream, I knew he was six, five, 300 pounds without an ounce of fat, just some things, you know, in a dream. And uh, he said, the Lord's calling you to Los Angeles where there's going to be a great harvest. That's all he said. But when I woke up, I heard the inaudible voice, the time of revival is at hand. Yeah. And so I woke up Sue uh, next to me and I said, honey, I had the most incredible dream. And, and the presence of God fell on both of us. We were being hit with waves of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is back in 82 before Toronto or yeah. some of the other revivals that broke out. And so we got out of bed, got down on our knees, and we said, Lord, if this is of you, open the door. And sure enough, every door supernaturally opened, including Lou coming out with me, which sure. I think was absolutely strategic. And uh, and so he and Therese, uh, they were newlyweds, and uh, we moved to California. But here's the thing. 
Michael, you know, we thought revival would break out the moment or re-arrive because, of course, you know, you had、yeah. the revelation of the prophetic word or that dream, but there has to be the proper interpretation and then thoroughly the proper application. Sure, and that's where a lot of people miss it because they get a prophetic word, but they don't interpret it correctly. They think、mm-hmm. it has to be immediate. You know, it could be years. Sure, and and so.、Um, So I came out in '84.、It、took us two years to transition out of being a pastor in Maryland to、uh, California, and we thought revival was going to break out. And we had ten of the most difficult years of our lives,、wow. but they were glorious in the sense that God was breaking me, developing character, and also I had the chance to go to seminary. My my dad, being a Baptist, you know, he went to seminary, and so he said, "You got to promise me you'll go to seminary." And he said, "Dad, I don't need to go to seminary." You know, in our church culture, we could be raised up, and I'm already an ordained pastor without a seminary degree. He says, "No, promise me,、uh, you'll go." And、um, and so I I gave him a verbal promise back when I was in Maryland, not thinking this was going to happen. But sure enough, as soon as I moved to Pasadena, and I was ten minutes from one of the top seminaries in the world, Fuller Seminary. Yeah, my dad called me up and said, "There's no excuse now. You're right next door to a seminary, <laughs>、yeah. and I want you to go." And so, sure enough, I end up not just going four years for my Master of Divinity. I end up going there for eight years and getting my doctorate as well. Normally, it's a three-year program, but I, here I'm married with kids, right? And、mm-hmm. I'm pastoring, and so it took me four years for each program. Yeah. But I am so grateful because I met Peter Wagner. Peter Wagner became my mentor. He became my professor. And uh, when uh, then when we started our ministry, he became a board member and he became a real father to me. And I know I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for、uh, a father like Peter Wagner. Which I want to just say, those who are listening, if you don't have a spiritual father and mother, you need to get aligned. You need to have people that have gone before you, absolutely, and they can speak into your life and、uh, and just learn from their wisdom. And so I, I thank God that God brought Peter Wagner into my life. Incredible, yeah. And I just think that your story right there, just God's more patient. Than we are. He's not so much in a hurry. He speaks to you about the amazing thing he wants to do in the natural, a great harvest, a mighty harvest of souls, and at the same time, he does an internal work in your life, and he begins to put the right pieces in place. And it takes years, and it's happened in my life where God has spoken to me when I first got saved. God said, "First, let you speak to few, and then I'll have you speak to many." And I saw a vision of multitudes,、yeah. and I thought that just A B C, and I'll be there. I'll be in a big、right. stage preaching the gospel to. You know, a sea of faces,、right. and I just thought this is going to happen in no time, and I was hungry. Especially for that. with this emerging generation, because of social media, Instagram, just that, just、mm. instant everything. In and Out Burger. I saw an In and Out Burger here in Dallas. <laughs> yeah,、I、couldn't believe that In and Out because it started in California. Yeah, from L.A. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone wants it yesterday, and、uh, and God, His definition of time is is a thousand years is as one day, one day is a thousand years. I mean, just to give you an idea, when the Great Awakening broke out in 1738, one one of the things that was birthed was is that a conviction that slavery was wrong. So John、mm-hmm. Wesley was a part of the Great Awakening. Whitfield, the Wesley brothers, absolutely. Whit, Whit, Whitfield had slaves. Now, I don't, I'm not saying this to cast an aspersion on it because he was a tremendous evangelist. Yeah. But John Wesley was an abolitionist, and so a young man gets saved under the. Methodist movement called William Wilberforce,、mm-hmm. and he's brilliant. He's a Cambridge graduate. He got saved at the age of fifteen. We dedicated his life when he was at Cambridge, and all of a sudden he has this encounter with the Lord, where he knows the reason why he's in Parliament 
is to end the slave trade and end slavery. Mm -hmm. And so he works tirelessly to pass bill after bill, and eventually he gets it that they have to elect members of parliament that are abolitionists because people were intellectually saying we're against slavery, but because it was the number one revenue source for Great Britain at that time, it'd yeah. be like petroleum for Russia. You know, it's the number one source of uh, revenue. And, uh, and so no one wanted to touch it because of the love of money. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden there was a change of members who ran that were abolitionists. It would be like today running on a pro-life platform and, you know, packing the Senate and the House uh, with pro-lifers, uh, you could overturn Roe mm-hmm. v. Wade with that kind of, um, yeah. uh, um, you know, two-third vote of, of the Senate. And so anyway, um, that's what happened. And then so 1807, the Slave Act, Slave Trade Act was passed, uh, ending slave trade because Great Britain was the number one slave trader. They had a monopoly. They bought yes. out the Spaniards, mm-hmm. the Portuguese, the French. And then in 1833, uh, slavery ended altogether without like a civil war that we had to go through. But here's the point. The revival broke out a hundred years before, 1738. It wasn't until 1833 the Reformation Transformation took place. Wow. And so I think a lot of us, you know, we want to see transformation. We want to see reformation, but we get transformation fatigue. You know, when's this going to happen? Because we wanted yesterday. And I just, just encourage people, just this is what perseverance is all about. Yeah. You know, that's a virtue that you know, that we see Paul highlighting, you know, he said, I exalted my tribulation. You know, and that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and character, hope and hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, through the Holy spirit. That's from Romans uh, five verses three through five. Mm-hmm. And so the point being is, is that uh, I want to encourage people uh, not to give up, uh, yeah. put your hand to the plow. Don't look back, continue to persevere mm-hmm. <coughs> and excuse me, and be faithful. Yeah. And as you're faithful with your divine assignment, mm-hmm. uh, you will see not only Jesus commend you, well done, good and faithful servant, when we go before the Lord uh, yeah. when he comes back or we go before the Lord uh, when we die. But I believe that our rewards are going to be just tremendous because we are faithful. It doesn't matter how, you know, Billy Graham and Whitfield, they all said because they had huge crowds that there will be saints will be way ahead of them in heaven to come <laughs> because they were faithful to whatever yeah. God had called them to do. 100%. So, yeah, so and I believe that. Jesus even told us that we will be rewarded in heaven, but also in this time and in this age. And I know even um, just kind of what's going on in America and around the world right now. I'm glad that you, you spoke about that because God's raising up people with that same passion you know, right now, and he's bringing awakening to the body of Christ and with COVID-19 and with you know, everything with racism and with the persecution on the church right now, not being able to meet in person, which you know a lot about being a pastor of a a large church in in California. We are going through the persecution because what happened was, is that just bottom line, we're suing governor Newsom for locking down the church, but it all began in the beginning when COVID hit in March, he said the church is not essential. And so here's how crazy California is abortion clinics are essential. Mm. Marijuana dispensaries are essential. Liquor stores are essential, mm. but the church is not essential. Now, I wrote a letter. I mean, we had fifteen hundred pastors sign this. I, so I didn't craft the letter. I was participating with fifteen hundred pastors, mm-hmm. and we said we're essential. We've been essential for two thousand years. But he just ignored the letter. He didn't even reply with fifteen hundred pastors signing it. And so when that happened. Um, and so uh, 
so then he did open up the church and businesses uh, for a, a few weeks uh, end of May. Mm-hmm. And, but he says, first of all, it has to be 100 people or less or yeah. 20% of your capacity and our, our, our capacity is uh, large. And so, mm-hmm. but it was 100 or less. And we, in the natural, I said, it's not worth it. Because we have to mitigate, we have to sterilize everything, yeah. sanitize everything, get the building ready. Uh, we have to take everyone's temperature as they come in, and we have to encourage those who, with underlying conditions, stay home. And uh, or you know, for a hundred people, is it really worth it? But the Lord spoke to me and said, "Do it for me, not for yourself." Wow! Because in this, uh, if I was being selfish about, because our church was growing while we were, people online audience was, yeah, finances were booming. This was like. This is unbelievable. What's going on? This is the easiest way to pastor, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm just being taped once a week and yep. all that. But the Lord said, do it for me because I inhabit the praises of my people. There's something about corporate worship that you can't do online. And uh, and that uh, we're hosting the Holy Spirit as we gather together. And, of course, when two or three gather. But, you know, here's a tragedy. So what happened was he locked that down. But he also locked down Bible studies. You can't meet in homes. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just the church. Yeah. So we can say, well, okay, we'll go underground, we'll meet in homes, and just continue to do things online. But that's illegal as well. Mm-hmm. And then he was, when we did meet, he says, no singing. It's the first time an that. elected yeah. official is telling the church how to worship, yeah. which is a violation of our First Amendment, because the First Amendment says the state would not establish a religion. And thank God they're not. Or interfere with the free exercise thereof. And so they're not to interfere with our, that's what the wall of, uh, of church and state wall of separation means is that they're not to be involved with us. Not that we can't be involved with the government yeah. because we're to be involved. We're salt and light. Uh, we're to disciple nations, which includes the government mountain. Yeah. And, um, and so a lot of people have been uh, duped into this whole separation of church and state and that's not what our founding fathers wanted. It was just Thomas Jefferson when he became president in 1801, and there was a group of Baptists in Connecticut saying, you know, are you going to shut us down, you know, because they were a little bit of a radical group. And he wrote a letter and said, look, there's a wall of separation between the church and state. We are not to interfere with your free freedom of religion, and we won't. And so, but yet here, Newsom is telling us how to worship. He's interfering with our worship. And then he locks us down and locks down Bible studies. And at that point, we decide to sue him. And we just said this. Plus, in the contrast, that George Floyd tragedy took place yes. and people are yes. protesting, rioting, and he's cheering them on. He's literally saying, God bless you. Your mm-hmm. voices need to be heard. I'm quoting literally from him. And he says, uh, exercise your First Amendment right. But what about our First Amendment right? Mm-hmm. He locked us down, but he's encouraging the protesters. And we saw that dichotomy and double standard, and we said this is this is wrong. This is unjust. He's persecuting the church, and um, and so we're going to sue him. And so uh, we have sued him, and this is where the backlash has come. Mm-hmm. It's come. Um, first of all, the city prosecutor said, "If you guys meet, we're going to arrest you, Pastor Che, up yeah. to a year term. So they're going to arrest me if we continue to meet, and um, they're going to give a ticket for every member who comes." up to $1,000 per person. And uh, you just talk about overreach and bullying. And, um, and you know, the irony of the whole thing, Michael, is that they're letting prisoners out of prisons in California because of COVID. They're yeah. letting rapists out, mm. criminals 
but they want to arrest a pastor and give law-abiding citizens who've never had any kind of ticket or record and yeah. give them a record just because they want to go to church. And so we're in what Isaiah 520 prophesies. There will come a time where people will call evil good and good evil, darkness light, yes. light darkness. And so that's the crazy situation. And and the thing I think that is um, uh, more painful is that um, we've gotten letters, you're being selfish, how could you open up and, you know, you're putting people at risk for death and all this stuff, you know, and that that kind of argument that, yeah. you know, if you don't wear a mask, you know, you're you're killing someone. And uh, uh-huh. by the way, we wear masks and we mitigate, we take time, all the things that we talked about earlier we're doing. But but I, I, I said to them, I said, you know, we're being very careful. Mm-hmm. First of all, we've not had one COVID case since, um, since we opened up on uh, Pentecost Sunday, Amazing. May 3rd. So here we are now, you know, going into the fall, but not one. And we have 162 churches and ministries that are part of HIM in California alone. They're mm-hmm. part of the planet. Not one death. Now, we've had some people with COVID in those churches, sure. but not one death. And so, uh, so, you know, when they're saying you're trying to kill people, my concern is what about souls, eternal life? Yeah. Let's say people get saved, and so I want to open up to reach the lost. And all these unbelievers are coming because they want to check out who is this crazy church that is opening. Because there are a lot of people who are libertarians. You know, they're not saved, but they like the fact that we are not giving in to the overreach mm-hmm. of the government. And so we have seen people get saved every single week, and that to me matters more so because everyone dies. Sure, you know that's the most democratic thing, but mm-hmm. not everyone goes to heaven, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, I just say you have a, a more of a humanistic view on this. You know, healthcare. Yes, I'm all for healthcare, but the truth is, it's not about saving lives in in California because we've only had twelve thousand die out of forty million. It's the the it's been flat from the beginning. Remember in the beginning yeah. they said we've got to flatten the curve. We can't inundate inundate the hospital. Yep. Our we have church members who are doctors, and they said there's been they canceled every kind of essential surgery for the wave of the COVID cases to come in. So if you're having to get cancer surgery, my brother's one of the surgeons. He he said no one came in for COVID. We were just sitting around because they canceled everything else and just trilling our thumbs. And that, so what was prophesied by Governor Newsom, he said out of 40 million, 25 million will get COVID and there'll be 2 million deaths. Remember those crazy numbers in the early days? Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. Even Absolutely. our president said one to 2 million if we don't mitigate. If that lasted only one month, and thank God he opened up. Yes. But Governor Newsom has gone to the other extreme, not only locked down, even though numbers are not showing it, but, um, but then just being hypocritical about it with the not telling any of the protesters to social distance or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, go for it. Yeah. yeah, so we see his agenda, and here's the thing that's really tragic, and I, this can get into one race for life, but 12,000 have died, but every year 133,000 babies are murdered in Terrible. California. Terrible. And we're talking about just in California. Yeah. Of course, nationally, we've had 60 million uh, murders since 1973. And so, you know, and, and, and then what about those who are dying of suicide? Yeah. Or, or drug overdose, yes. or those who couldn't get their cancer treated because you canceled all their essential surgery because of the the influx of COVID cases that never happened. The financial. You what know, about those people jobs. dying? Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. every year, 
Half a million people die of cancer, 500,000, half a million die of heart disease. Mm-hmm. What about those who, they, they say 40% of those who've had mild heart attacks have not even called. And, uh, and they've seen a drop of heart attacks, mm-hmm. mild heart attacks. And either COVID has cured them or, you know, this quarantine has cured them or they're just not reporting. Yeah. And so they're not because they think, you know, because they've been in- encouraged by their doctors, don't mm-hmm. come. Because yeah. you're going to inundate us. We got to concentrate on COVID case. It is such a crazy world. It's madness. And um, by the time this comes out, I believe there will be a vaccination. So I think yeah. uh, by the fall. And so, mm-hmm. but even now there's treatments. My brother was telling me that it's amazing how many different treatments that are out. So that's why we're not seeing the death rate. It's plateaued. Sure. 100%. And, yeah. And so, uh, but anyway, uh we're praying for revival because what we bottom line need in America is revival. Yeah, and that well, begins with the church. Absolutely. And when Governor Newsom said, you guys are not essential, I had to repent because I said, oh my goodness, we've been so irrelevant that we're not making an impact on society that they think of us as not being essential. When, you know, if you're really being the church, you're mm-hmm. deemed extremely essential. Yeah. And, um, and so I said, Lord, show us how we can really be true salt and light Mm-hmm. and uh, be heard. Um, so part of my stand is is taking a stand uh, to do what's right, because I don't feel we're violating the law. I feel that we're exercising our constitutional right to meet. I believe that Governor Newsom is the one that is, who's supposed to protect our rights, but he's uh, violating our, our rights by locking down the church. And, uh, and I think he's doing a tremendous disservice to our economy. We have highest, or the, one of the highest unemployed rate of all the states. Uh, 15% of our people in California are unemployed. There are people who are, you know, they're just absolutely depressed because they lost their jobs, they lost their business. So, you know, when they say, well, we're just going by science, it, it's a lie because what about mental health science, like psychiatrists yeah. and mm-hmm. psychologists? They're scientists too. Sure. You know, and uh, so it's not just an epidemiologist who says, uh, you know, like Fauci, you know, no, there's a whole school of science that we have to look at uh, to see the well-being of a, a person, including doctors of ministry, like I have a doctorate, you know, that to minister to people, mm-hmm. uh, their spiritual well-being. And, uh, and so in that sense, there is a theology uh, yeah. of what I'm doing, not as a scientist, but as a theologian. And, but so he has knowledge, he's going by knowledge, but no wisdom at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening with most of the Democratic states is interesting. Fifteen of the most unemployed states—they're all run by Democrats. Uh, if you look at the top fifteen unemployed, it's all New York, New Jersey, it's California, it's, mm-hmm. it's Washington, it's Oregon, etc. Well, you said it right. You know, I heard you say in a message not that long ago, maybe a month and a half ago, the Lord spoke to you that you know the soul of America is under attack. Yeah, there's there, you know the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Absolutely, and the church is crying out, and you know like. Sean Foyt leading these Let Us Worship gatherings and people meeting outside, worshiping God, right. you know, coming together. Like, I just, you know, I want to I want to just touch this before we end here. Like, what would you say to the church? Um, people that, you know, all over social media, their opinions and this, that, X, Y, Z, you know, because social media allows everyone to say what they think. What would you say to a church that needs to rise up? People that are stressed out there, that are hurting, that don't really know what to do to make a right. difference. Well, you know, we talked about wisdom. We need wisdom. Um the problem is, is that we're being inundated with information. It's the information age, but we're getting our information from social media. Yeah. 
What I'm trying to tell our people is that we have to have revelation knowledge from the Word of God. Amen. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind in Romans 12, verse 2. And, you know, the Bible promises if we meditate on the Word day and night, live according to all that's written in it, we're going to be successful. We're going to be prosperous, Joshua 1, 8, also Psalm 1. Yeah. And so what I try to encourage our people, because— they're they're spending hours on social media, but how many minutes are they really reading the Bible? And this Very is the inspired Word of God that can change the world. Uh, the book that made our world by uh, Visha uh, Magawati, he's a Indian scholar who's a believer. He traces how the Bible has impacted nation after nation, just the Bible, and obviously the. the believers who read the Bible that bring about the transformation. Mm-hmm. So I, I really want to encourage that we need a revival of getting back into the Word yeah. and being people of God's Word, and not being Pharisees and legalists, but it's the Word and the Spirit, and being full of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, Ephesians one seventeen coming upon the church. So that's what I would appeal for, because some of the things that Christians are saying during this time is absolute contrary it's like oh where have you been you know it's mm-hmm. like it's shocking to see you know i got a letter from a woman who said i disagree with you on your and she's a member of our church sure and she said i disagree with you on your stance on abortion because you said every abortion situation what about rape mm-hmm. and then she said my granddaughter was raped and so i gave her my blessing and you know she's taken an anecdotal situation in her family but if you theologically really believe that everyone's made in the image and likeness of God, you won't take that life. That's right. You know, you'll put it up for adoption. I mean, uh, two wrongs don't make it right. I mean, rape is terrible. So yes. I'm not, but also the percentage of those getting pregnant out of rape is like less than 1%. Mm-hmm. And so what we're really talking about is, you know, building a theology based on circumstances and, uh, you know, your own personal experience instead of what the Word says. Yeah. That's an example of what I'm talking about is that mm-hmm. people, if they were, really had biblical conviction, they would just, it's a no-brainer. You know, it's wrong. Yeah. And we got to fight for that life. And as a grandmother, I will take care of that life, whatever it takes. But you don't kill it. Yeah, for sure. And that's great because I want to kind of end the show with with people being able to, first of all, connect with your ministry. You do an incredible job at equipping the saints through your books, your TV show, your conferences, your church. Um, but you're also the founder and president of One Race for Life. Tell us a little bit about that, and then how could people connect with your ministry online? Well, it really came out of the whole George Floyd uh, tragedy, and um, because people were saying there's systemic racism, and I, and I just began to look at the church, and I said, you know what? Yeah, there's sin, there is racism in the church, but for the most part, the church, there's so much love. I have a multi-ethnic church. And we have African-Americans, we have Hispanics, we have Asians, and majority are white, actually like 60% white and 40% people of color. And we get along great. They're on staff, they're pastors. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we use that word race, uh, play on words, first of all, bringing the human race together, but race as far as the sense of urgency, Mm -hmm. because every 20 seconds a baby is being aborted. And then the race for the election, because the way we're going to bring about change is through legislation is mm-hmm. through laws, through voting. That's mm-hmm. the way they changed the slavery issue through parliament. Back yeah. I mentioned that with Wilberforce. And so I, I'm uh, doing something we did with the call prayer movement when Lou and I uh, established that in 2000. And I give myself to seven stadium events. Then I had to focus on our church and our ministry. But 
But one of the things we made the young people do is to make a vow, it was a pledge, that they won't vote for any abortionist who's running for office. Amen, that's right. And to vote for those who are pro-life candidates, because that's like a grid, because, you know, there's 631 laws in the Old Testament, but it's reduced to 10, and one of them is thou shalt not murder. That's right. And so a lot of people say, well, what about the poor and immigration? I say, all those are important. But this start off with the one, the top ten: don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. And when you focus on that, and that becomes your value system, all of a sudden everything falls into place, mm. and you'll vote for the right person. Unfortunately, the Democrat platform, and for those who are ready to vote, I'm just telling you, is abortion until the very last day of the nine month, mm-hmm. and if somehow the baby is not aborted and comes out live you can kill that baby, which is infanticide. That's how crazy the Democrats have become as far as being left philosophically and theologically. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say that I couldn't vote for Biden at all because Mm -hmm. he's for abortion until the ninth month, or uh, Kamala Harris, or any of the others who are running for local and state office. But I can, you know, if there's a Democrat that's pro-life, why not? You know, I, I want to those who have biblical values I want to support them uh, if they're running for office. Amazing. I agree 100%. So how can people find you online, uh, your TV show, your church? Well, your I'm on Instagram. You just just uh, Google Cheon, you know. <laughs> there are mm-hmm. not that many Cheons, and <clears throat> it's a short name. Mm-hmm. And go to Cheon.org or HarvestRockChurch.org mm-hmm. or HarvestIM.org, and they can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking time to be with me today. I really, you know, your ministry has affected my life and countless thousands around the well, world. Thank you, Michael. So thank you. It's well, you're an doing honor. a great job, and you're part of this emerging generation that the apostles of old have—they're jealous. They—they they <laughs> are drooling and from heaven, uh, saying, "I wish we could have lived." And this period, because it's going to be the greatest revival in the history of the church. Absolutely. I agree 100%. (laughs) So for those who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review this podcast so we can get out to more people so they can be challenged, inspired, and blessed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I look forward to speaking to you next time on Awaken Podcast.